Good morning, Steve Seifert. Good morning, Dad Landrum. Are you going to try to use the word shizzle in this podcast at some point? What shizzle? I've heard you use that word before. Are you trying I'd to act- cut down on your shizzle usage? I, I don't. I don't think that's one that's in my vernacular. No, well, you brought it up. Well, see, but you're flipping now. A minute ago, I said, you know, nobody uses shizzle anymore. Yeah, but you and brought you it up initially. Just, yeah, I'm not really sure why. Well, let's do this show with pizzazz. Okay, and a plum and panache. Is panache a chocolate? It's a it's kind of nut. <laughs> I'm going to cook a chicken breast um, uh, sh- panache. I don't think so. Oh, it's Grenache. Grenache is chocolate. Okay. Uh, there was an invasion in Grenada once. Isn't Grenada also the name of a car <laughs> from the seventies? That's a. It was a Grenada. I'm thinking of a Gremlin. Uh, yeah. Did you know that the Matador meant like death car, and that's one of the reasons that car didn't sell. Really? I don't know. Is that true? <laughs> I don't know. Do you know somebody was, was talking didn't sell about? It was ugly. It was an AMC, another AMC ugly car like the Gremlin. Somebody was talking about how in the seventies you could still have a cool name for a new car. You know, they come out with a new model, they come up with a cool name, but now all the names have been taken. So we've got all these weird names now. Well, <clears throat> you also have names, a, a bunch of them now, that have to do with the size of the vehicle. And so, you know, the Lincoln Continental was, you know, okay, that says this is a big car that you got to travel everywhere. And now you get in, you get into explorers that are all about going everywhere. And then what's, uh, what are some of the big SUV names now? Like the Continental Drift. (laughs) I don't like calling a car Echo. Is there a car called an Echo? I don't think so. That's Amazon's new device. All right. So. Dulcimers pretty much don't have, <laughs> we don't refer to their model names. Yeah, we do on the hammer dulcimer. Like if you're talking about dusty strings instruments, you'd say a, a D650. Or yeah, a but that's a model. Or, like that, that's more like letters and numbers, but they don't call it like, you know, the, the pontiff or something. <laughs> no, but you guys will talk about a, a soprano dulcimer, right? Well, that's more or a of base a, dulcimer. That's like a kind of dulcimer. Okay, that makes but sense. But you know, if one of these, there's a new dulcimer builder that you turned me on to. This guy, I looked him up. He makes incredible guitars. Oh, Tony. And he's working on a dulcimer. And this, I mean, when we say incredible guitars, I looked him up on guitar forums, and people talk about this guy. Yeah, Aaron went to visit him a couple of days ago. Did you wow, know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, maybe that was a secret. <laughs> I think it's not a, now. I think that's a great idea. Um, but the thing is, he should name his dulcimers like something like Lincoln Continental. I think he yeah. should name them after cars from the seventies. That would be cool. So I want to get a gremlin. No, a gremlin dulcimer. Yeah. Hmm. I don't. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on what I'm about to start because we've kind of done this before. Do you want me to but, set a timer? Are you? No, we got a timer going. We're fine. But when uh, Aaron was here just a couple of days ago, we were, were playing together. <clears throat> and, you know, he did the last podcast with me. And so he mentioned something about uh, string gauge. 
and how that uh, makes it. What a big difference heavier strings are for him right. on an instrument. And me, me too. And you too. Okay. Not think, all of the not a, not all benefits, but more benefits than not. So, as a novice player, it's, heavy strings feel hard to play for me. Right. But there's I have no you know there's things I'm doing wrong. I'm talking about mountain dulcimer now. There's things I'm doing wrong that there's no way I could know because I'm a novice player. Yeah. Do you think we can make that better for people? for people just getting started or do you just have to go through that process? Well, sometimes people start with this idea that they're not going to play till they've got all the bad habits out of the way or something like they want to know before they really get into it. What are all the things I shouldn't be doing? And I think that's a good thing. I've been listening to a book on bicycle touring <laughs> and the guy says, look, there's good ways to plan a route. There's, there's things about equipment and process and how to camp and use the bathroom on the road and all that stuff. But let's not forget the main thing here is to get on your bike and start pedaling. And he keeps bringing them back to that. It's like, we can talk all day and night if we want, but why don't you get on your bike and start pedaling? And I feel like with the dulcimer or anything, you do got to jump in there and you got to survey the landscape a little bit. You got to make that entrance into the hobby and, and and then I, this fear of accumulating bad habits maybe can sometimes be overdone. Sure. I wonder if the personality type, and I don't think this is a male or female thing. It would be easy to, to make it sound like that. But uh, I tend to rush in and I tend to think I know more than I do know. Maybe all people do that, but I'm a doer you know i like to put my hands on and do stuff and maybe the difference between somebody who succeeds in learning an instrument or becoming a cyclist you know for whatever reason they're doing it and somebody who doesn't who are the people that you know just really get in and go is whether they get good information at the beginning because if you're somebody who like you latch onto something that's incorrect and you dig in on that and keep pushing, it's not going to make it any less incorrect. Right, but you can... I had a habit. I still do, but I remember with VCRs in the 1980s. I remember this specifically. I can even see the face of the one I'm talking about right now in my mind. Um, I would do a very... a very short, conservative attempt to program the VCR and know what all <laughs> the buttons did without looking at a manual. But okay. it was just an initial survey of what I was dealing with. You know, what is obvious? What isn't? Then, unlike some people, I would actually read the manual. But I, I've had a habit of this in my life. I want to try it on my own and see what's obvious and see what problems I run into right away. And then the manual just seems to mean so much more to me. Yeah. Perhaps it's my age. I've shifted away from that some. Time is short, man. <laughs> I want to get to understanding it as, as quickly as possible and using it as quickly as possible yeah, before it goes out of date. Yeah, but you've got to... I think before you read the manual, it's good to put your hands on it and your eyes on it. Now, I mean, yeah, this, some things that may not be true with, but for me, a whole lot... Like, I like to open up a new app on the iPad and before I read the instructions, I like to just see what I can figure out. And then I, I really do read the instructions. 
But that that initial phase might only be five minutes of poking around, right? But but um, you you started talking about string gauges. What what was the reason on that? Well, no, I think we're right where right where I thought we'd go with that. It's just not, not, It's not about string gauges in particular. <clears throat> it's about just because Stephen Seifert says or Aaron O'Rourke or you know one of a hundred other just amazing players say yeah you really need heavier string gauges on this thing if uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you would have discovered that on your own because if you pick up the instrument and your <laughs> here I go again your fundamental attribution error don't that you use make, that nah, it's a good one it's a is biggie that the FAE it, it, I guess it is that's now. a heavy heavily regulated government entity <laughs> I don't really want to talk about that no but if you make this error like so you put this dulcimer in your hands and you and you strum it and you realize okay it feels feels weird you know something's right it's like I don't strum smoothly I don't it doesn't sound all light and pretty like those other guys do yeah uh my fundamental attribution error, I remember making this, was, oh, I probably have, the strings are probably too heavy, and my pick is probably too heavy. So I put lighter strings on my very first instrument and used a softer pick. Right. And I now understand from talking and learning from you guys that I probably went in the wrong direction. Well, let's be clear that there's no reason to think that somebody should go to heavier strings. It depends on what you're doing. That's why I'm not focusing so much on the strings. I'm focusing on how yeah, it's no, but easily the metaphor to make out of this is it's by not. heavy strings. That's not what I mean. Uh, my me- the metaphor is how do we know? How do we know when we're starting out on an instrument? Here's the know? deal. It's just not. Oh, this is gonna get me in trouble. I, I love taking on new hobbies. I understand about being a beginner and having a good attitude as a beginner. Maybe part of having a good attitude as a beginner with anything is realizing this stuff's not all that hard. It's not like totally impossible. It's not like you've got to be trained by specialists to enjoy it. I mean, just get in there, get your feet wet a little bit and you know, it's, it's going to be okay. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like you're saying, how can somebody know? all? I don't know. No, I'm not saying how can they know all the right things to do. I'm saying how can you keep from getting stuck carrying the banner of something that's incorrect as you're, you know, and that keep you from finding out the right things. You know you've met these people. That's too stressful though, what you're talking about. Oh really? Can't we just jump in isn't part of the the fun, the puzzle of dealing swimming around all the the errors and the truths? <laughs> I gotta. Th- I'm gonna have to think about that one. I'm not sure if I want to go swimming with you. Uh, you, because yeah, I, I don't. I Wait. just think the questions that we ask are more important than the answers that we have when oh, it comes to trying to figure sake. out how to do this stuff. Why are you, for goodness' sake, me? Uh, you're reading. You're doing it yourself, Steve. When you say, "Okay, so I'm reading this book about cycling." Mm-hmm. You're you're answering the question that I'm asking. You're saying get some outside information before you start thinking, oh, the thing for me to do is to get on here and ride 100 miles. I guess the problem is I see people stressing out about this, and I don't want them to stress out about it. I mean, just take it one thing at a time. Ask, some, ask a question. Get on a forum. 
do a book, get an instructional video, take a lesson, sit there and figure it out on your own, sit there and reflect a little bit. All of the above. Okay. That's certainly true. But you, the, why am I having this strange reaction to your question? I just, sometimes yeah, well. <laughs> people are paralyzed by all this stuff. Yeah. And I'm not. Like when somebody says I'm talented, I'm, it's so hard to figure out what that means. But one area I may have some talent is I think I have a good attitude as a beginner. And I don't mind jumping in there and getting my feet wet and being wrong about stuff and just learning as I go and not stressing out about it. Um, right. I, I, not everybody can enjoy that. I enjoy that. Wait, I want to back you up. Back, back that truck up there just a bit, big boy, because you said not stressing out about it. I know that some folks would think the amount of, uh, I'll use the word obsession that you have <clears throat> about the things that interest you is a form of stressing out about it. Why do you obsess so? Why, when you, what you really want to do, and forgive me if this is too personal, but like right now you're, and I'm really glad to hear you say this, you've been riding your bicycle and I think that's good for you. And I'm really happy to hear that. But you don't just ride a bicycle. <laughs> You're going to get a book and read something about cycling and yeah, but know, I how to do it best. I've done it for three weeks, and I just got the first book yesterday. I okay. mean, I already knew yeah. how to ride a bike. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I get that. I, no, yeah. it, <sighs> but that's that. You, why would you get a book... You just said, I already know how to ride a bike, so why would you get a book on how to ride a yeah, bike? Yeah, I told you with the VCR, I'd like to jump in first, and then, and then I read the manual. I mean, uh, I obsessing over it is not stressing out. See, that's another thing. I enjoy obsessing uh, on this topic. I may be, I don't necessarily enjoy obsessing over learning how to use QuickBooks on the yeah. computer to do accounting. But, but an accountant would, or somebody who might find that they'd enjoy a career in accounting, might find that they enjoy reading about all the different accounting software programs possible. See, I didn't stress out much early, even now. But I mean, all along learning to play music, there's definitely been fear and stress and stuff. But for the most part, I was like, okay, what are we dealing with here? All right, well, this is going well. This isn't. Well, what's not going well about it? Uh, I don't know. Why is that? Oh, well, maybe you should uh, get a book or estimate. Like, I love that whole process of analyzing what I'm doing and, and, and figuring it out. You know, sometimes people, uh, when I'm working on, some, working on strumming with a student, they're not looking at their hand at all. And I, and I often say, hey, get your face down in there. Get your head down. Look at your hands. Figure out what you're doing. Start moving slower. Move faster. Start experimenting. Try things a bunch of different ways. How does it look? How does it sound? How does it feel? Like sometimes people just haven't folk. They haven't zoomed in. And people do this with sheet music too. It's like let's zoom in on that one beat. Now let's zoom out and include one beat on either side of it. Now let's zoom back in. Now let's zoom out. Now zoom out one measure. Now two measures. Now zoom back in. That kind of obsessive um, 
thing where I'm analyzing and I'm zooming in, zooming out, zooming in, zooming out, making changes, testing ideas, seeing how it goes. I'm not saying you've got to do that to be a musician, but that's I enjoy that part of it. And that's why I was happy day one as a beginner. I often tell people things aren't much different now. Like when I'm sitting in my bedroom playing by myself on my dulcimer, it still feels like it did the first couple weeks I played a dulcimer. There's things I can do. There's things I can't. There's things I kind of can do. I enjoy that that whole process. Not everybody's into that. Like there's some people that don't really seem to pay attention to their tone or whether they're in tune and they're not real concerned about the accuracy of their rhythm. They're also not really in there. There's some folks who just aren't into the drama, you know, like the passionate, the expressive part of playing, but they, they might really be into collecting tab and reading about the history of the song and, you know, I mean, there's so many different ways you can come at this. Mine happens to be, and I suspect it's, you know, I look at Aaron O'Rourke and there's other people I can think of and you, we do obsess over these technical details. It's fun. It's not stressful, but it might be to somebody else. So, <laughs> you know, part of my answer uh, about how do you, I don't know. How do you know what you don't know? That's a good question. Well, perhaps that our job as learners, and, and maybe even more so as teachers, is just to try to find a way to, to get people to do that, to engage that. I think I don't remember the exact quote, and it's attributed to Gulta, but I'm not sure that that was real either, as you find out as you study these things. But it said, uh, engage and the mind grows heated. And there's this other one, uh, boldness, uh, whatever you can do or dream, something like that, begin it. Uh, boldness has power and magic in it or something like that. Because once you, you just have to have a way to get started. And if it's going to stick, it's going to stick. And if it's not, it's not. Not everything sticks for everyone. And if the reason someone gets involved in the dulcimer scene, be it mountain or hammer dulcimer, is mainly social, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to become a solo performer. But the social thing will probably work for them. And if it doesn't work, it's not because of their dulcimer playing. <laughs> you think there's something room else. for all of the different approaches. It's right. You know, the sometimes we've got people who are extreme self learners. You know, they they may not have gotten books or taken lessons and that kind of stuff. And then you get you get people on the other end of it, they want you to tell them everything to do. You know. They they're afraid to do anything unless so and so said to do it. Um that one is pretty far from me. Uh, I certainly don't mind submitting to somebody and just We've got a, a lady who's organizing our home. It's really been helping mom out quite a bit. Like yesterday, she went, she got all the medication in the whole house in one place, went through everything, got rid of an entire huge garbage bag full of medication, wrote every... Anyway, I told her yesterday, 
whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Tell me what you want me to do. You know, I'm not going to fight her. I'm, I don't have a whole lot of ideas. I really trust this person. Um, I don't mind doing that with music. But there is a big part of me that is self-taught. I really enjoy going at it alone. The, fu- the opposite from me is when somebody really wants to be told everything. And they... Th- they don't even feel free to enjoy something unless you tell them it's okay to enjoy that. Um, I'm not saying that person is bad, (laughs) is a bad person, but I have a hard time relating to that. Like my goal usually is to try to get them to relax and just, you know, open them up a little bit. They seem to be burdened. All right. So I'm not trying to argue with you. If this sounds like that, it's really not what I'm trying to do, but is it possible that like you getting the bicycle book, is is similar to them getting you I'm like you're the book for them and they still I, I wonder if an argument can be made that everyone or that the only learning that takes place is self-learning of some kind it's just that some people aren't as bold as far as discovery goes and trying things uh, it reminds me back when I used to work with computer trying to teach people how to use computers and those kinds of things a lot there were some people that were just afraid to do anything, you know, and you can tell they're probably never going to learn this because you can't even tell someone on, on something where everything happens behind a piece of glass and you can't see what's going on. Just telling them what goes on, that's you might as well just be barking because <laughs> unless they move their hands around and get some concepts of what happens when you click this button or what does it mean to sort by column or sort by entire spreadsheet. You know what I mean? Or, well, sometimes yeah. like on a spreadsheet class, you know, if if I don't see a need, like give me some real world examples. Yeah. And then show me how the spreadsheet made my manual work go a lot faster. And then I get intrigued. and Right. So you had to have gone down to the micro level just a little bit if you're trying to learn to play an instrument before you realize, okay, my goal is to play this song, and maybe the need that you have is to play the song, but until you get down to the mechanics of trying to do it, do you discover that, oh, this is why he wants me to hold the pick this way, or I don't need to be lifting my arm up so high when I hammer or when I strum, or this is why the motion needs to be one way as opposed to another. There have to be ways of getting people to do that. Uh, and those ways don't work for everyone. Uh, I'm a... I like fundamentals, perhaps a little bit too much, but it's the way I relate to how I play. No, I think it's good. Uh, I have a, a new student to her second lesson will be today. And so she went home <clears throat> after her first lesson, and I know she's been practicing this week because I talked to her parents. It's going to be fun to see uh, if she's as interested right now as she was one week ago. Because she's just had this first week of of uh, trial and error, probably more error than success, right? On somebody that's just starting out. So what do I need to tell her today? When she comes back and she can't quite do the thing, what should I say to her? I think the foundation needs to be Well, I'm just imagining she's coming in the door right now. I'm going to be saying to myself before I open the door, 
I want to give this person really accessible fun. I want to have the most fun with the least effort and frustration on their part. And I, I have a whole bunch of things I know. And what I'm trying to do is hook somebody. Trying to get a hook. That's right. And yeah. I know if I can... And she may not even like that stuff. If she doesn't like that stuff, then we may be dead in the water. It's not like I'm going to give up. But um, So once... Usually the first lesson especially... Like I just had somebody come the other day and I thought she said there was something she wanted to do. And I thought, well, there's like eight different ways to go about that. But the easiest one and the quickest one is the one I'm going to do with her in this lesson today. And she got super excited. And now that she's hooked, I can show her one of the other ways that maybe require a little memorization and a little more work. Um. But then when the, if somebody comes back, you're saying, what if they had trouble with it? Is that well, they did. I mean, I'm sure she had trouble because it was what she was trying to do was mostly designed, in my mind, just to get her to experiment with the instrument. And <clears throat> for me to say, look, I didn't really want you to learn that. I don't want to say that to her. That's, I wanted her to attempt to learn it and see what else she would learn in the process. You know, it's like somebody says to me, I had a whole lot of trouble this week with such and such, and I really, I really want to do this, but this is just so hard. I'm wondering if maybe I'm just not cut out for this. Um, I always feel like a responsibility to. Re I remember back to when all these things were hard for me, and I try to share with them these stories, and it's like, look, you know, when you start a new hobby, when you start playing chess you're hoping that maybe you're a chess genius and you just haven't discovered it yet <laughs> like i'm gonna start into this chess thing and if it turns out that i'm like a chess genius that's gonna be awesome so you're you're going into it wondering if you've got what it takes you know and i i want to encourage them like look don't have a false idea about what's going on here i i give them real stories about me having real trouble all along the way for years with many things. And then I try to tell them, uh, well, the other thing I remember is I enjoyed all that. Like when that trouble came along, I didn't think, well, I'm probably not cut out for this. When I first tried to play by ear, I could not, I could not it took forever to find the next note. I was constantly insecure about it. When I was in jams for years, I kept thinking, I wish I was one of these guys that could just play by ears and pick things up really quick and memorize stuff. I could give you 20 examples of this. Today, I'm very competent at these things. I go into situations with, with, um, with, some, with, with some really useful skills I'm so thankful for, but I, I worked hard and much of the progress was slower than some people probably could handle. But I, I got the, a student coming in and they're a little discouraged and I just try to make sure they don't have these fantasies about what it is to play music or these myths about talent or, you know, I want oh, to yeah. hook them on something fun. And if they really want to do this, I try to dispel the myths that can often discourage somebody. And then it's just about whether or not they want to do it or not. And I tried right. to, I told this lady last, the last lesson, I said, there's nothing that says you have to play a dulcimer. 
you know, it's like if you decide you're not interested in this aspect of it, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. I, I try to remind people, I really, truly believe that for the most part, we don't serve the instrument. The instrument serves us. So how would you like this instrument to serve you? You know, when you get better, I think you can use your music to serve others. But I mean, when you're a brand new beginner, what do you want to do? Let's not attach any should or shouldn't to it. Right. That's very good. I think if I had said some of those things that you just did, I'm not sure you would have agreed with me. <laughs> uh, because some of it was a little bit heady about serving the instrument and the instrument serving you. I mean, it's just a thing we do. And I guess we're not trying to examine all of life and why do we exist and that sort of thing. Well, but, I mean, a lot of people uh, will say, is it okay if I do this? My blanket answer is yes. <laughs> you know, does it matter if I do such and such? Yes. Um, well, are people going to get mad if I do such and such? Yes. <laughs> yeah, probably. We know that person. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's you. a beginner comes in. You know, how many beginner lessons have you had where they're shaking a little bit? What are you talking about? I shook. Yeah, so I did just, too. Yeah. Ab so absolutely. And especially, you know what? It's usually not at the beginner. Uh, I think I do remember it one time at the beginner. But uh, sometimes it's as they're starting to get better and they're really trying some more complicated things and they're a bit intimidated and they're trying to hold a lot of stuff in their brains that everything can begin to break down. And I, I blame myself when that happens because I think, okay, I have prompted them to bite off more than they can chew without going, hey, 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 let's just wait on that for a little bit. You do that if you want to for fun, but this isn't what you have to do to learn this instrument. If you're enjoying beating yourself up with something that hard, then really I think you should do it because you're discovering a lot. But what I'm trying to get you to do is learn some fundamentals so you won't beat yourself up so much as you're trying to learn these hard things. I love it when somebody is real nervous and I say, hey, you know, well, they'll, they'll say, I'm really nervous. And they'll say, you're, you're so good. I don't I can't imagine why you'd want to work with me since I'm a beginner. And I always think, you know, one of my favorite things to do in the world is to work with a beginner. Like, I certainly wouldn't recommend they go find somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about. Like, I right. This the the um, another student actually was really nervous, and I looked at her and I said, "I want you to know something. As much as I love the dulcimer, it's one of the least important things on my top ten list. You know." I'm not going to judge you for this whole dulcimer thing. I know there's much more important things. I'll quote her again. Gene Ritchie saying the dulcimer has always been the perfect accompaniment to the more important things in my life. Yeah, that's a great quote. I just want to chill somebody out. It's like, look, I know I've made dulcimer my life, but believe me, I don't take that that seriously. I'd feel silly to take it too seriously. On the other hand, I take it more seriously than most people that have ever lived. You know, as far as, but there really are more important things to me. Um, yeah, you you dig in if some someone said, "Hey, you need to stop that and just get a regular job." Well, I'd say, well, you may be right. Well, yeah. So, so let's talk about the practical side of being doing what you and I do. Really? So we're planning this. Yeah, for a minute. Well, aren't we supposed to keep all of that secret? 
I don't care because it's not that big of a deal. It's Let's tell all the secrets now, right are, now. They aren't really that interesting. They're boring secrets. <laughs> I don't know. Some stuff is, uh, yeah. We're planning a trip to uh, to London in May. Is it May? I, April, May, something like that. And we're down to the final stuff. And <laughs> and if, if you folks are listening, we're coming, just so you know. So don't let any of this frighten you. Just, and, yeah, we're not- and don't let it alarm you that I don't, I'm not sure which month we're coming. We have it on a <laughs> calendar. That's right. And the airplane tickets have been purchased with those correct dates in mind. We'll be there. I, that What he just said may or may not be true. I just don't but, think out. I don't think past a week, unfortunately. Right. But we're, you know, as we're looking at this, we're we're going okay. So, again, this is not a complaint because we appre- we're appreciative, but we can't really afford to take two weeks out of our lives without making, uh, continuing to make a living. Uh, and so we're constantly weighing things by that, you know. So that's where this whole being a musician and being self unemployed it becomes complicated because you. You do have the time, it would appear, to help other people do things. And by helping, sometimes it's like, hey, help this club get started and go do this thing. Or uh, help me move a couch this afternoon because you have a truck. Uh, You appear to be more available. And anyway, we can get caught up in that kind of stuff. So right now, we're looking at, okay, when we go, how can we make some money over there? And I know you were looking into selling locks of your hair or something online. Yeah, Armpit hairs. (laughs) <laughs> that's disgusting so you brought it up i i didn't bring that up but no we're trying to f- the the thing uh I, I i like to always remember this that we're not doing this for the money but the money is allowing us to do this stuff i don't think that's true steve because if somebody told you might is look, for me well let's let's say you make there's three three ways to make a living Let's say four, A, B, C, and D. <clears throat> a keeps you in poverty. B keeps you just above the poverty line. C makes you comfortable, more comfortable than most people in the world, but still not wealthy. And D makes you wealthy. Right. We're somewhere, you know, hovering between B and C all the time. <clears throat> and if somebody said, look, if you'll just give up that dulcimer thing, you can easily have C and maybe even potential for D. I don't know that you'd stop. You mean if it was easy? Mm-hmm. If. Just switch. Hey, here's this job. You know, you've been doing this and you've been doing this well. I guess we would argue whether or not we've done it well. But you've made it this far. You know, you've learned how to play the instrument well and you get gigs and you play with orchestras. You do all kinds of stuff, you know, and you teach and you're in demand and you've got lots of balls in the air. But, I- Some, but somebody comes along and says, hey, I think I could take all those skills that you've put into that and give you a job working in this cubicle where you'll make 20% more. The deal is you just have to give up all that other stuff. All right. Well, here's the thing. If they told me it was one day a week, you can be making a hundred grand a year, but you only have to do this like one or two days a week. My, my first thought would be, this is awesome. I can play dulcimer and, to, and do gigs. Yeah. And, but if they said, this is going to be... Six days a week, you're going to probably put in eight, ten hour days. You're going to make over a hundred grand a year. You're not going to be able to get off for dulcimer festivals. You're not going to have time 
to do lessons and stuff like that. N- right now, today, if that offer was real, God, I don't want to sound like a selfish jerk, but I don't know that I would take the money offer. That's what I'm saying. I, I don't think you would. I, I think that would be really, really hard. And, and, and you you might appear to be foolish in the decision that you make, but... Uh, Dude, yeah. when we when we yeah. are on the when we you know the, there's downsides to doing what we do, but let me just address the upsides. The upsides are fantastically thrilling; they really are. Um, working with a beginner and seeing some excitement in their eye, you know, teaching a class where it's going well, performing on stage, and you pulled it off. Plus, it felt awesome. Like when I hear people talk about. Uh, some of the best experiences in meditation or being in the flow. Like you listen to an athlete, like a, maybe a snow skier talking about when they're in the flow and in the moment. And I get to experience all that stuff. Now, do I want to experience that at the cost of the more important things in life? No. Have I chosen it anyway? Sometimes. Yeah. But the, the, the tricky thing is we're, ki- we're kind of like junkies, Dan, because some of the parts of this, what we do, are really, really fun. But so has the person who took the what we're saying would seem to be the obvious, easier way out where you make more. They have to give up something also. Yeah, but they might really kind of like that on some... I, I know, but everything's got trade-offs. My, I know my son, neither my son nor my son-in-law listen to this podcast, but they all they both have jobs that require a lot of hours. They both make you know, better money than I do. And, uh, but they're, I just couldn't see myself doing what they do though. But see, there's the problem. I might be fine at what they do because we tend to sort of, well, you have a track record of being able to do things like that. Like you've built three houses, you ran an NPR station, you worked uh, running a catering business or something like that. Is that stuff true? (laughs) No, my, my parents owned that, but yeah, but oh. you, you, I'm worse than you. In I've, some I, ways, and better in others. I mean, you're more like David. You're more like David Letter than Letterman than me. Really? How's that? Yeah. Uh, it's you know David Letterman since he retired. Have you seen a picture of him lately? I just saw that on Reddit. You saw the beard thing? Yes. So bald beard, white. He running. said. Jogging, whatever. <laughs> He's very forced, gumpy kind of right now. It seems like he said that the more people bug him and try to embarrass him about his beard and the way he looks, the less likely he is to shave that thing off. Amen. I thought that's Stephen Seifert right there in a nutshell. In many ways, insecure, but it's those insecurities brought to. You know, for him, it was a TV show. For you, it's this dulcimer stuff that keeps you going, that keeps you driven and and makes you do well at what you do. Does that make sense? A little bit. I mean, the elephant in the room for me is I've had marriage trouble. Um, As many people have. Yeah, but I've, you know, I've had marriage trouble, buddy. And somebody could sit me down and say, look, what you've done is you've chosen the fun over the important too often. And now not only are you paying the price, but the other people in your life are. I mean, Mm. 
there's, I would say, buddy, you might be being a bit hard on yourself, and we obviously don't want to go into that situation. But yeah, there's but, more to that than just that. Yeah, but look what we've done. We've chosen something where you you're not going to make as much money, but you're really going to have a blast, and you're going to get to know a lot of people and be a part of a lot of different lives and. I mean, look at what happens with social workers. They don't make much money. Teachers don't make much money. Yeah. Um, but some of them, like, I've had some awesome teachers in high school. They did such an incredible job. When they taught, they seemed like they were they were just on this super healthy high. They were so into it. You know, and I still to this day thank those teachers for what they did, you know. Right. I, it, the hard thing is doing what we do to have a true perspective of what you're doing it's hard it's like what you were saying earlier with the the musician you know who's trying to how do they know what they're doing wrong or what you know it's it's um it's it's kind of a little bit of um a mystery for me but Uh, well but what am i gonna do today you know yeah well there therein lies the rub for somebody like you there's so many things that can get you in flow because you are an autodidact, a self-learner, and and me too, that we really have to be careful that the thing that we're spending our time on today ultimately is good for us and those around us, right? Not just, you can't just be addicted to the flow. And I know you right. called it, you called it playing, spending too much time playing, but for some, I, I, I don't even buy that fully because playing is different for different people. I, I'd say you are, I don't know. When you get in the flow, you're going to, the thing you're trying to learn, you're probably going to get better at it when you're in flow, you know, because you're learning things about it. That's the, the question, only time I get better at it. Yeah. The question though is, do I need to be getting better at this thing right now? That's always the question. And it's the same. That's how I, that's the question I ask at the beginning of this uh, but, is yeah. how do we help people know that? And how do we not just help them, but how do we know that ourselves as self-unemployed that's people? Such a too- Sometimes we know it's wrong. And by wrong, I mean, it's just not really prioritized and like and like the of course the answer toy, to this man. yeah well maybe but there's exercise that comes with that like i i ordered i didn't just get one book dan <laughs> <laughs> and now it comes out no listen i got a book i got an audio book on bike touring okay i got an audio book on this guy's first trip on the appalachian trail i got two other actual physical books off amazon on bike touring Maybe I overdid it. Because look at what <laughs> I'm gonna look at what I'm doing there. I wanna be in the flow. You know, one reason I get these books, the biggest reason is not information. I enjoy being immersed. I like I you know, I'm doing laundry, I'm doing dishes, I'm listening to this book on the Appalachian Trail, I'm on the mood. It's exciting. Sometimes that stuff is misplaced. Or you and I, we might try to learn a piece of software past what is useful to us because we're having so much fun learning the software. It's like you do have to pull back on the reins. Like the flow is so addictive to me. That's why I say I'm a junkie. You know when you get in a hot bathtub, or let's say you get in a hot tub, 
that first 30 seconds, it's so different. It's It just takes over your senses, getting in that warm bath. When I get up on stage and I play the dulcimer, it feels exactly like that. It's not just I'm having a little more fun. It's a profound, it always reminds me of getting into a hot bath. It's, hmm. it's that it, yeah. different for me. And so I get that experience with certain things. And I, and but you don't want to stay up on, on, on stage until you prune up. <laughs> that's right. And, and to be responsible and to not just be a selfish person and actually be able to practice some self-sacrifice to help right. others, which ultimately helps us all. Maturity, I hope. I hope I'm becoming more mature, you know, at 42 well, I, I think you. I, <laughs> I didn't I hope put you, are. you on the spot there. <clears throat> well, I know I hope you are. I mean, but do, isn't that your goal in, until you t- draw your last breath? It's a trajectory. And I think that's what life is all about is you trajectories. Know, you're encouraging. You're a good role model because you've split the difference. You know, you, you've gone after this music you've loved. You've been the guy who was out busking, you know. Um, but but you've also tried to also make decisions that are not are not just self-serving you know you got a family to take care of i mean yeah. you've of all the musicians i know you're one of the ones that really seems to have found a, a little bit of a balance in all of this and that's good for the rest of us to see and to experience if you can't handle a compliment just don't talk can I? But I can be honest, though, that I got lucky. And if I, if, I mean, I can look back at two or three things. The Yanni gig was luck, absolute. That's not fully true. I mean, because I had worked hard, and if I didn't have chops, and you know, maybe people skills, maybe I wouldn't. I mean, we all guy, know as a musician, one of the things you hope for is that somebody that somebody's going to notice you you. and you're going to get to do something cool. Yeah, exactly. And (laughs) having, having street performed so much, you know, for, for so long, it just became, I became completely jaded to the person who walks up and says, Oh man, I've never seen anybody do this like you or, or this is the coolest thing ever. I've got an uncle who's, or a cousin or my brother, or you just, Every week you would hear somebody say, uh, you're really good at this. You know, you ought to be, people ought to know what you're doing and you should get this break. I know somebody who would be interested. None of those things, if I heard it and I'm not, I don't think I'm exaggerating. I heard a hundred of those. Only one of those panned out. And the, <clears throat> the difference is I got a hundred chances and one of them to pan out. Yeah, but when, when you're functioning at a high level, one of those things is going to work. Probably. I think that's not necessarily true. I think if you're really functioning at a high level and you're doing it consistently and, and you're doing it a lot, you can call that luck. I understand that, but also it's bound to happen. Well, you make your luck, you make your opportunities at least. I mean, you have to be out there playing and when you're not out there playing, you have to be in here practicing. But what's the balance part of it? Like you, when you were a manager of an NPR station, did you leave that to go on tour? When when did you leave that or why? It's probably too much information 
uh, <laughs> one just sort of grew into, th- th- there were a couple of things that happened. I also worked at a production facility for Cumulus Broadcasting is the second largest and may, may not be anymore, maybe first or third or fifth, I don't know, but owner of uh, commercial radio stations. I got headhunted away from the public radio station to go work for commercial radio. Okay, but and when did you leave having a normal nine to five? When did you stop mid, doing that and why? Mid 90s. And what happened was, and again, I'm not going to bore you with the whole story, but I had been, I was working for a production facility uh, called the, it was the Central Production Facility, writing jingles and commercials and even some funny skits and things like that for national clients, for radio stations sales teams, Cumulus owned radio stations to take these out and then try to sell them in their markets. It was a thing that Cumulus was trying to do. So, so it wasn't just local people writing. They had like national talent and I was a part of that team. And that was like a full-time job. And that was a full-time job. Cumulus sold to, or excuse me, the building that I was in, that radio station, which was like five or six I didn't work for the locals. I worked for the nationals. But the building that I was in sold to Clear Channel, which is the other biggie in broadcasting. And we had a choice if we wanted to continue to work for Cumulus. And it was either move to Atlanta or move to Chicago. And I wasn't interested in either one of those. And my performance career was like, I was doing okay. You were selling CDs, right? Yeah. So this was back in a time when you... CDs could make you a minimum wage income. You could go out. I could go out and street perform and make a bad weekend would be $500. A good week, an average weekend would probably be 12 and a good weekend might be, you know, you could get to the $2,000 range. Yeah, and people need to remember, this is back before MP3s. This is this is when yeah. CDs, really, you could make a living with CDs if you were an interesting performer. That's right. Yeah. So... Anyway, that's what happened. Yeah, but what happened? When so you you just said I'm going to quit. I'm not I, going to Chicago or Atlanta. I'm just going to make a living making music and I have And there a, was a time you w- talked to your wife and you guys made this decision. Yeah, it wouldn't and she's wonderful and it was it was uh really scary and and I still question it sometimes as I'm approaching retirement age. Right. Uh so that's one of the reasons I'm kind of a nut about trying to stay healthy and, and also living the, living the life that I think is really good, which is why you see me uh, spending so much time with my, with my grandkids. I know I could probably make a little more money as a performer if I pushed product more and, and did that, but I'm alive right now, and I, I live the good life, and I'm happy for that. You but know, not some, everybody gets to do that. At some point, I think you brought balance to that scariness by – taken on the magazine although i'm sure that was scary at first but yeah part, right, part of you're me right taken on the magazine was like i can't just busk all the time i, I no no, you, no that was the magazine happened even after all the yanni stuff did so it was like okay i've done this now and i know i could probably continue to do this and be on the road a lot but i did that that was over the course of about four or five years you know multiple tours and things and i was like wow i just uh the joke that I always tell is I, you know, I don't drink enough to say that I drink. I don't do drugs. I don't cheat on my wife. There's no reason to not be home. <laughs> I'm happy when I'm home. Yeah. So 
Uh, and I still feel that way. And, and I have to even confess, even about being gone to, I've cut my number of dulcimer festivals down to down from, I was in the, you know, 15, a few years there. I'm like, I can't do that anymore. You know, down to eight, down to 10. And in the next couple of years, I think this year is about five. And next year I'd be happy if it was three or four, uh, to where I'm obligated to go. But then I'd like to continue to, I'm, I'm telling way too much information about my business plan, but <clears throat> we would like to enlist an army of people to help us uh, promote Dulcimer Players News at festivals with some kind of an ambassador program because you just can't go to them all. But then if we want to go, we can go. Does that make sense? Yeah, but you know, for me, a lot of the time, whenever I've entertained, like I need to go get a real job, you know, I there's been a bunch of times when I would start looking into the paper, talking to people, getting online, thinking about this or that, taking some kind of uh, multiple choice test to figure out what else I'd be good at. And um, every time I've gotten obsessed with that, all of a sudden the information came down the pipeline that we're out of money. <laughs> and then, oh, yeah. then it was like, well, I need to go do a two-week tour in Missouri, and I need to finish that book I'm working on, and... Um, that's what we need to do right now to get through the next uh, eight months. It's like every time I went to get a real job, it was like, well, I, I'm going to do what I know. I need to make some money, so I'm going to do what I know. That's I've, I've seen you do that many times, and I think that's the life of an independent musician. I think that's the deal. I mean, I hope, matter of fact, I know we have some people who listen to this podcast who don't have any interest in dulcimers at all, but they're trying to do what we do with other instruments and uh that's just the thing you do need to find multiple streams multiple sources for income i mean there's a guy out there with corgis <laughs> sir and he said you know it got back to me that he said seaford only does what he does for the money all he cares about is the money mr corgi who i love by the way i wish we could be pals again he he says i only do this for the money well, with what I just told you, you know, we needed money, but but it's not like I'm so you it's not like you got to twist my arm at all to get me to go back out on the road. So, I don't know Mr. Corgi at all, and I suspect he doesn't listen. I love him. Okay, but he's misguided. Doesn't matter if he's listening or not. I think that person that and uh, people like that person may have fallen for this myth of pure evil and being pure believers, true believers that you know, a real musician just does it for the love of the music. That's those kinds of things are not real. There's prac. You have to have clothes, and you have to, you know you have obligations that you have to meet. And sure, people can get into it to the point where they are. Uh, they're they're really might be in it only for the money, and the quality of the product does not matter to them. It's just like what's another way I can make a dollar. But I think if you can come across somebody like Steve that uh, is an amazing musician and kind of brilliant when it comes to creativity, why should you be surprised that you're being creative when it comes to finding other ways of making money? I think it's just all part of the same package. You know what I mean? So before when I said, we don't do this for the money, but the money allows us to do this, that's half of the truth. We also do want to eat. And I want my children, (laughs) like Elijah's taking a blacksmithing class. Wow, that's cool. I want him 
to be able to do that. You know, yeah. um, we're doing it at a weird time, though, where or maybe we're doing it the best. I, I need to be careful about that. Maybe this is the best time ever for that. This seems like but, the best time ever for yes. Because of the way things are changing. I think the. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I miss being able to go out and sell a whole bunch of albums. I mean, the, here's another funny thing. I've never, you know how music has so many different, let's just keep talking here for a little bit. <laughs> music has so many different aspects to it. You've got different instruments, different styles. You can perform different roles, you know. As a bass player, maybe you're just focusing on providing good bass line. You're not doing anything fancy. You're just there as a support. You're, you're in a support role. Um. There's, there's, you can study music theory. You can do play by ear. You can learn to sight read better. You can compose. You can improvise. You can play with people, without people. Um, there's so many different fun parts of music. I have. This is one thing I, 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 I think about. I've never gotten burned out on this ever. I might get burned out on Irish music. Well, I set it. I put it on a shelf till I'm ready for it again. I might mm. get. Burned out on traveling. I put it on a shelf. Six weeks later, I'm ready to hit the road again. I may have gotten a little tired of one little aspect of this, but I am so I am so deep in this thing that I've never gotten burned out on it. I I really do love doing all this. You can that that means something, I think. It it's it's worthy of consideration. I really love doing this and that's the biggest reason i do it right right like i'm pro uh, uh my dad he would run into somebody like uh a ham radio operator and the, you know they might talk to my dad about ham radio for two hours and show him all this stuff and then my dad later would say to me you know i'd say dad what'd you think about that and he'd say they're eat up with it <laughs> you know, I'm eat up. Right. Yeah. I'm eat up with this. And that's, that's, it's got the good and it's got the bad, you know? Sure. And it's hard too, because I, my dad worked, my dad, especially when I was younger, I remember there was a time when he did seven days a week, 12 hour days in a factory. He was very good at what he did. Later on, I think it was six days a week. At some point, there was something they called swing shift. He ended up working night shift and, you know, and he did, he worked for that company for over 30 years. And I didn't get to see him a lot, you know? Right. Well, with me in my situation, even having marriage trouble, even being on the road, because people are always like, it must be hard being on the road. Even with all of that, I've gotten to spend more time with my kids than I ever got to spend with my dad. You know, so when I start measuring out all this stuff, I think, I mean, it's not just like I've chosen to play music and, and, and disregarded everything else. It's not that. Um, I think that's important to think about. And I remember as a kid, my dad would come home worn out. 
He worked around um, like a melted plastic. You had these sores all over him from where it got on him. He was oh, mad yeah. all the time. He was stressed out. And I just remember thinking, I don't want to do that. You know, and I remember somebody talking about, well, do what you love. Focus on doing something you really love to do. And I was scared to do that. And I thought, well, isn't there some better path? Maybe I want to be a dentist. It's like I didn't. <laughs> the only thing I wanted to do was play music or be a camp counselor. Those two things seemed to resonate with me the most. Um, man, I don't know that I did the right thing, but uh, I remember that music teacher in high school who said he took me aside. I, I've talked about this many times. He took me into a side room and he said, I heard you're wanting to be a music major. And he kind of pointed at me and got my face. He said, only do this if you have to. If there's any, if there's any way you cannot do this, then don't do this. Only choose this if you can't help yourself. <laughs> Why do you think that was good advice? And would you do you think he was that was directed specifically at you because he knew you? Or do you think that's the kind of thing that guy said to everybody? Because I think blanket advice like that doesn't work for everyone. I Maybe think it worked for you. I found out he had said it to somebody else. I think he said it to the people who seem to be eat up with music. And he was letting them know there's going to be certain aspects of this life that are going to be rough. And I'm just, I feel a responsibility to let you know that. And I'm telling you, if, if this isn't what you really want to do, think about what you do really want to do. You know, I don't know. Yeah. It was just a little bit of a check. Hmm. Check yourself well, before you wreck yourself. <laughs> well, it may be too late for that. <laughs> So I want to backtrack only just a little bit, just to say that by not pushing back a little bit when you were saying nice things about me, I don't want to leave the impression, and this isn't me saying trying to control what people think because you can't, but it sounds like, it sounded like this mythical person that you were talking about when you were talking about me was that he made a bunch of good decisions and didn't make bad decisions bad decisions in this whole thing and trying to keep it balanced. And I think many times I made some very unbalanced decisions and you just don't talk about those because you talk about your hits and not your misses. But here's a miss I want to talk about. Ooh, that I'm trying, damn, trying to Landa correct. misses. This, let me get a pencil. Hang on a second. Oh, gosh. That's uh, wait, 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 wait. Let me call. I got to get Aaron on the phone. Butch, no, let me get He'll Bing. know. He'll know. All right, guys, are we ready? Here we go. I've had this... What's the word I'm looking for when you're self-righteous? How about self-righteous <laughs> way of saying that <clears throat> the hammer dulcimer is an instrument that really, really is only best learned by having someone in front of you showing you how to do it or you experimenting with it. That books and things to learn this instrument are for the most part unnecessary. In particular, as the internet age started, because there are so many sources for learning tunes. And you're admitting you know? being self-righteous about this. Well, maybe maybe I was right even, but my goodness, has that cost me a lot of money. And I'm recognizing now that books may be, because CDs, you don't do as well. It was, you know, it's exciting. Some the, uh, A few days ago, somebody bought my entire catalog off of iTunes. And you get, and you're like, that's cool. 
But I'm remembering that because it's an anomaly these days. That's right. Not because it's the normal thing that's happening. So at this stage in my life, I must start producing books. I have to produce books, even though I've kind of been against it. And I've got this resistance to do it because that self-righteous part of me says, you're selling out. But if I don't do that and create that as another uh, revenue stream, I'm going to be in trouble. And yeah, I know well, that. Well, also, you've been... <laughs> Look at all the work you've done at making a magazine, and one of the big goals of the magazine is to help people play better. That's right, but I, that's not all me. That's kind of organizing a whole bunch of other people. Right. You know, And I mean, I write for it as well. Uh, but anyway, I just... Uh, little decisions like that, th- that was a fundamental attribution error on my part. What was the... What was the uh, inappropriate attribution? <laughs> I I could do this without having a bunch of books. And it's not laziness on my part of not doing the books. I have just had this bias against them because I don't think they work. But you know what? When you were describing to me or describing to the listeners, to, I mean, listening to the podcast about, about all the stuff that you bought about book, uh, about cycling, and cycle touring and all that and all the stuff that you've done. Right. What went through my head was, man, I wish he was my customer. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, well, why? You aren't even producing those things that you, as the consumer, because you're interested in something, who knows? Maybe you should buy four or five books. And even if a couple of those books don't really benefit you, they do feed the passion. It feeds and it, the passion. And there, there's a book I... There's a number of books I, I'm thinking of right now where, like, uh, two books in particular, the pictures in them were the most inspiring part for me. And I don't mean they inspired me a little bit. I would look at those books, like, um, so obsessively at the photos and daydream about what who are these people that travel and they go to festivals. Did I play any arrangements in the book? Maybe one. You know, um, these these things we create, like all these bike books I just bought, you really think I'm going to read all those? Isn't that crazy? But it's kind of like, um, you know, maybe some of that's wasted money. Some of it's escapism. But I I can say that even in the dulcimer books where I didn't learn how to play better, there's some I enjoyed immensely. That's weird, isn't it? Uh, no, not not at all. It, as you were saying that, I was thinking back to the, you know some of the books that because I bought a bunch of books and found out that some of the things I learned from some of the books were actually patently wrong, but those things didn't stick because my passion for the thing dug through those. But it said, was oh. good for you to see that and to experience it, or maybe even to realize that. Oh, okay, not everything everyone says is is the best for me. Uh, but there were some things like uh, Carrie Crompton's books, which, you know, you don't, you don't even see Carrie around. Now she did festivals. all those dulcimer books, right? Yeah, ha- hammer dulcimer books. Yeah, yeah. But get, but she did mountain dulcimer books. Carrie did. I didn't know that. Okay. I got to make sure I'm thinking of the right person, but isn't she the one that did Renaissance dulcimer, medieval dulcimer? Oh. That sounds right. Yeah, because she did that for Hammer Dulcimer. And uh, her uh, arrangements were the first really difficult things that I ever tried to learn to play. And probably that set me off. So my first thing that I'm trying to work on 
as a uh, as a person who's now all going to be into books. You're going to see some books from me. Hopefully multiple titles on multiple things, but the very first thing ha- the, they have to do with arrangements, kind of uh, harder arrangements that are going to stretch people to try to play as opposed to books of tunes, which I still think there are just thousands of them. Well, Though, like this work that you've you know, I've been talking about for weeks that I've been doing on the butterfly, I'm also trying to take tunes that people might know and create really cool arrangements out of them so that you get stretched that way as well. Well, the the re- here's the funny thing about me and the Carrie Crompton books. Early on, I knew and experienced that for the mountain dulcimer side of it, her books absolutely were some of the best, most the best, most common sense arrangements out of any of the books anywhere. Isn't that funny? One of us needs to interview her for this podcast. Like that's interesting for me. Like I'm I'm going through books right now, and I've probably got I've got hundreds of mountain dulcimer books. And we've got this personal organizer, and I know we're going to be going through the books together. And every time I think of that stack of Mountain Dulcimer books, I'm keeping the Carrie Crompton books. Isn't that funny? How interesting. Yeah. No, she's the first name that comes to mind. I don't want to make anybody else feel upset because there's many authors I enjoy, but I'm. Wow, how bizarre that you and I kind of have that uh, similarity. I didn't know that. Interesting. Uh, I'll tell you what I know, Steve, we, this is the longest podcast we've ever I done. I love it. We have to stop. We don't have to stop. We do have to stop. There are limitations. You're asking too much of people from this point forward. Oh, what about this Bob McGowan dulcimer? Later. No, it's so good. I'll just give you a preview. We can talk about it later, but this is something I'm real passionate about. Like you really I, are going to keep going, aren't you? Just for a little bit. I, I, <laughs> just a little preview, because I don't get burned right, out on being a musician. But I, every once in a while, I go to four-string equidistant. And I've got this Bob McGowan he made me years ago, made out of Koa. Okay. I've always known it's special. It's one of the few dulcimers. There's no way I'm selling. There's no way I'm trading, and I'm reluctant to let anybody borrow it, even though I haven't used it at gigs. Uh, just a couple times, but I got this thing out the other day. A student wanted to just see a bunch of different dulcimers, and this is a custom he did. It's it's different than his typical dulcimer. This thing, it doesn't just sound a little better when you finger pick it. In particular, when you finger pick it, it is crazy sounding. It doesn't, like my mom said this. This is exactly what I was thinking. She said, it's not that it sounds like a guitar, and it doesn't exactly sound like a dulcimer, but it sounds unbelievably beautiful. Like it clearly is a dulcimer. It's just got this amazing tone. So here I am, and I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to give myself permission to have some fun in four equidistant land. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not what most people play. I don't care. I'm obsessed on four equidistant right now. Maybe you can write a book and Janita Baker will buy your book. <laughs> She'll be the market or Rob. I mean, Rob there's please. definitely four equidistant <laughs> people out there, but no, I know. But the funny thing is, is um, I was getting a little tired of what I've been doing. And I have to say this, Mr. Let's in the podcast. Yes. There's always going to be somebody out there that says, well, you should be playing like this, or you might as well play guitar, or you, 
you know, dulcimer should only do this. They've got all these rules they want to saddle you with. Um, when you have chosen to make dulcimer your main thing in life, as far as, you know, it's dulcimer is a big deal to me. It has been for 25 years or whatever. Um, I, I can't just be limited to one thing personally. And at some point, <laughs> maybe on the next podcast, I want people to hear this thing. Oh, yeah. You, that's so funny. We set up microphones this time so that we could play some on the podcast. But uh, we haven't at all. <laughs> Can we make that a goal that next time we actually play some music? You know what I would love to do is a podcast where we just share these short, cool little ideas. Like, it's not going to be you teaching. <laughs> it's you saying, you know, one thing I think is cool is when you do this. Just some short little thing. I would love to share some of that. Let's do that for next time. We got to go. People, this, you know, this is like you've watched. You're cool. You pay for a ticket to see a football game or some game, and you're excited when it goes into overtime because, like, hey, we're getting more for our money. But after it's gone on for an hour and a half, you don't really care who wins. Anymore. I don't agree. You just want to go home. Now, I agree that nobody would want to listen to us longer than an hour. But the podcasts I listen to, every once in a while, one of them goes to three hours. And I love it. Because I, I get to stretch it out <laughs> over a week, man. That's true. That's true. But I can't. You know, you're making your mom be quiet in the other room. And my dog needs to go to the bathroom. Hey. I'm, We're inconveniencing other people at this point. I'm doing a duet with a pipe organ coming up. When? Oh, uh, when is that? It's on my website. I don't know when it is. <laughs> okay, okay. Do you have tickets for it? <laughs> it's it's in Nashville, Tennessee, and it's uh, it's free. I think it's a week. I don't know when it is. It's on my website. It sounds like exciting stuff. But it's uh, it's a free concert. It's Tennessee's largest pipe organ. We've done the rehearsals. It's so cool what Wilma Jensen is pulling off on a pipe organ. And um, if you, I think if you can get to Nashville, Tennessee on that date, free concert, come on. I think it, I think it's, uh, it might, it's not something you're going to see every day. And I'm telling you, it works. It, yeah. Uh, it, let me, let me say something for people who may not be, uh, really familiar. You know, you might have grown up uh, either not in a church or in a church that doesn't have a pipe organ or one of those icky little, you know, electric things, you know, with their just kind of funeral music-y sounding stuff. A big tracker pipe organ, which I assume that this is, like you're talking it's about. It's massive. Yeah. Uh, they live, they push your chest back. It's amazing how much force comes from that. It's, it's considered the king of instruments. Uh, having said that, back when I worked in public radio, I used to host a show called Pipe... No, I didn't host it. That's not true. When I was working, I would play a show called Pipe Dreams. Mm -hmm. Every time I listened to it, I got a migraine headache. <laughs> Every time. Wait, completely different experience, though, from being in front of one. And my theory, which could be wrong, is that you've got such amazing frequency range on this instrument that to try to record it and bring it down to, you know, something that plays back on speakers that can't 
deal with that much. I just don't think it's easy to make a pipe organ sound great recorded while they're pretty pretty intense live. Well, it's amazing because you've got pipes all around the church, not just on one side of it. So you're you're sitting in the middle of this instrument. That's right. Yeah, that's it. Needs to be experienced live. It's not quadraphonic just speakers, man. Yeah, Dan. Yeah, you're. I my, think you're wrapping up. I'm liking this. You've got that look on your face. <laughs> you're my quadraphonic pal. Wow. Uh, no, you're not. I don't know what that means. I think. Well, I do think I need to say thank you four times now. Why is Aaron visiting that dulcimer builder? Why would that be a secret? I can't wait to call him. It's not a secret. Maybe it's a secret, but who knows? We have to be careful. This is secret stuff. Hey. Hey. We promise more secrets in future podcasts. We need to start telling secrets about other people, not about ourselves, though. The kind that'll get us in trouble. Absolutely. And it, it just needs to be completely made up. We're going like to start with have Butch a, Ross. I would completely enjoy a game <laughs> where... One of us, and you never know which one it's going to be, during the podcast, says something that is just patently false, and then the other person doesn't say anything about it, so that we're at least putting some misinformation out there all the time. Let's do a whole podcast that's nothing but falseness. We could probably handle that. (laughs) Hey, I'll see you. Good night. Good night.